Chapter Eleven of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Eleven. Vane withdraws. Dusk was drawing on when Vane strolled along the terrace in front of the dean. He was preoccupied and eager but fully aware of the need for coolness, because it was very possible that he might fail in the task he had in hand. By and by he saw Evelyn, whom he had been waiting for, cross the opposite end of the terrace, and moving forward he joined her at the entrance to a shrubbery walk. A big clipped yew with the recess in which a seat had been placed stood close by. "'I've been sitting with Mopsy,' said Evelyn. She seems very little the worse for her adventure, thanks to you. She hesitated, and her voice grew softer. I owe you a heavy debt. I am very fond of Mopsy. It's a great pity she fell in, Vane declared. Evelyn looked at him with surprise. She scarcely thought he could regret the efforts he had made on her sister's behalf but that was what his words implied. "'The trouble is that the thing might seem to give me some claim on you, and I don't want that,' he explained. "'It cost me no more than a wedding. I hadn't the least difficulty in getting her out.' His companion was still puzzled. She could find no fault with him for being modest about his exploit, but that he should make it clear that he did not require her gratitude seemed to her unnecessary. "'For all that, you did bring her out,' she persisted. "'I don't seem to be beginning very fortunately,' Vane replied. "'What I mean is that I don't want to urge my claim, if I have one. "'I'd sooner be taken on my merits.' He paused a moment with a smile. "'That's not much better, is it? but it partly expresses what I feel. Leaving Mopsy out altogether, let me try to explain. I don't wish you to be influenced by anything except your own idea of me. I'm saying this because one or two points that seem in my favor may have a contrary effect. Evelyn made no answer, and he indicated the seat. Won't you sit down? I have something more to say. The girl did as he suggested, and his smile faded. "'Now,' he went on, "'you won't be astonished if I ask if you will marry me?' He stood looking down on her with an impressive steadiness of gaze. She could imagine him facing the city men, from whom he had extorted the full value of his mind, in the same fashion and in a later instance so surveying the eddies beneath the osiers when he had gone to Mabel's rescue. She felt that they had better understand one another. "'No,' she said. "'If I must be candid, I am not astonished.' Then the color crept into her cheeks as she met his gaze. "'I suppose it is an honor, and it is undoubtedly a temptation.' A temptation? Yes, said Evelyn, mustering her courage to face a crisis she had dreaded. 
it is only due to you that you should hear the truth though i think you suspect it i have some liking for you that is what i wanted you to own vane broke in she checked him with a gesture her manner was cold and yet there was something in it that stirred him more than her beauty after all she answered it does not go very far and you must try to understand i want to be quite honest and what i have to say is difficult in the first place things are far from pleasant for me here i was expected to make a good marriage and i had my chance in london i refused to profit by it and now i'm a failure i wonder if you can realize what a temptation it is to get away yes he said it makes me savage to think of it i can at least take you out of all this if you hadn't had a very fine courage you wouldn't have told me evelyn smiled a curious wry smile it has only prompted me to behave as most people would consider shamelessly but there are times when one must get above that point of view besides there is a reason for my candor had you been a man of different stamp it's possible that i might have been driven into taking the risk we should both have suffered for a time but through open variance we might have reached an understanding not to intrude on one another as it is i could not do you that injustice and i should shrink from marrying you with only a little cold liking the man held himself firmly in hand her calmness had infected him and he felt that this was not an occasion for romantic protestations even had he felt capable of making them which was not the case as a matter of fact such things were singularly foreign to his nature even that would go a long way with me if i could get nothing better he declared besides you might change i could surround you with some comfort i think i could promise not to force my company upon you i believe i could be kind yes assented evelyn i shouldn't be afraid of harshness from you but it seems impossible that i should change you must see that you started handicapping from the beginning had i been free to choose it might have been different but i have lived for some time in shame and fear hating the thought that someone would be forced on me he said nothing and she went on must i tell you you're the man his face grew hard and for a moment he set his lips tight it would have been a relief to express his feelings concerning his host just then if you don't hate me for it now i'm willing to take the risk he said at length it will be my fault if you hate me in the future i'll try not to deserve it he imagined she was yielding but she roused herself with an effort no she said love on one side may go a long way if it is strong enough but it must be strong to overcome the many clashes of thought and will yours she looked at him steadily would not stand the strain vane started 
you are the only woman I ever wish to marry. He paused with a forcible gesture. What can I say to convince you? She smiled softly. I'm afraid it's impossible. If you had wanted me greatly, you would have pressed the claim you had in saving Mopsy, and I would have forgiven you that. You would have urged any and every claim. As it is, I suppose I am pretty, her lips curled scornfully, and you find some of your ideas and mine agree. It isn't half enough. Shall I tell you that you are scarcely moved as yet? It flashed upon Vane that he was confronted with the reality. Her beauty had appealed to him, but without rousing passion, for there was little of the sensual in this man. Her other qualities, her reserved graciousness, which had a tinge of dignity in it, her insight and comprehension had also had their effect, but they had only awakened admiration and respect. He desired her as one desires an object for its rarity and preciousness. But this, as she had told him, was not enough. Behind her physical and mental attributes, and half revealed by them, there was something deeper, the real personality of the girl. It was elusive, mystic, with a spark of immaterial radiance which might brighten human love with its transcendent glow. But, as he dimly realized, if he won her by force, it might recede and vanish altogether. He could not, with strong ardor, compel its clearer manifestation. "'I think I am as moved as it is possible for me to be,' he said. Evelyn shook her head. "'No, you will discover the difference some day, and then you will thank me for leaving you your liberty. Now I beg you to leave me mine and let me go.' Vane stood silent a minute or two for the last appeal had stirred him to chivalrous pity. He was shrewd enough to realize that if he persisted he could force her to come to him. Her father and mother were with him. She had nothing, no commonplace usefulness or trained abilities, to fall back upon if she defied them. But it was unthinkable that he should abruptly compel her. Well, he said at length, I must try to face the situation. I want to assure you that it is not a pleasant one to me. But there's another point. I'm afraid I've made things worse for you. Your people will probably blame you for sending me away." Evelyn did not answer this, and he broke into a little grim smile. Now, he added, I think I can save you any trouble on that score though the course I'm going to take isn't flattering, if you look at it in one way. I want you to leave me to deal with your father." He took her consent for granted, and leaning down laid a hand lightly on her shoulder. "'You will try to forgive me for the anxiety I have caused you. The time I've spent here has been very pleasant. But I'm going back to Canada in a few days. Perhaps you'll think of me without bitterness now and then." He turned away, and Evelyn sat still, glad that the strain was over, 
and thinking earnestly. The man was gentle and considerate as well as forceful, and she liked him. Indeed, she admitted that she had not met any man she liked as much, but that was not going very far. Then she began to wonder at her candor, and to consider if it had been necessary. It was curious that this was the only man she had ever taken into her confidence, and her next suitor would probably be a much less promising specimen. On the other hand, it was consoling to remember that eligible suitors for the daughter of an impoverished gentleman were likely to be scarce. It had grown dark when she rose, and, entering the house, went up to Mabel's room. The girl looked at her sharply as she came in. "'So you have got rid of him,' she said. "'I think you're very silly.' "'How did you know?' Evelyn asked with a start. "'I heard him walking up and down the terrace, and I heard you go out. You can't walk over raked gravel without making a noise. He went along to join you, and it was a good while before you came back at different times.' I've been waiting for this the last day or two." Evelyn sat down with a strange smile. "'Well,' she said, "'I have sent him away.' Mabel regarded her indignantly. "'Then you'll never get another chance like this one. If you had only taken him, I could have worn decent frocks. Nobody could call the last one that.' This was a favorite grievance, and Evelyn ignored it but Mabel had more to say. "'I suppose,' she went on, "'you don't know that Wallace has been getting Gerald out of trouble?' "'Are you sure of that?' Evelyn asked sharply. "'Yes,' said Mabel. "'I'll tell you what I know. Wallace saw Gerald in London. He told us that. And we all know that Gerald couldn't pay his debts a little while since.' You remember he came down to Kendall and went on and stayed the next night with the Claytons. It isn't astonishing that he didn't come here after the row there was on the last occasion. Go on, said Evelyn. What has his visit to the Claytons to do with it? Well, said Mabel, you don't know that I saw Gerald in the afternoon. After all, he's the only brother I've got. And as Jim was going to the station with the trap, I made him take me. The Claytons were in the garden. We were scattered about, and I heard Frank and Gerald, who had strolled off from the others, talking. Gerald was telling him about some things he'd bought. They must have been expensive, because Frank asked him where he got the money. Gerald laughed, and said he'd had an unexpected stroke of luck and that they had set him straight again. Now, of course, Gerald got no money from home, and if he'd won it he would have told Frank how he did so. Gerald always would tell a thing like that. Evelyn was filled with confusion and hot indignation. She had little doubt that Mabel's surmise was correct. "'I wonder if he has told anybody, though it's scarcely likely,' she said. Of course he hasn't. We all know what Gerald is. Wallace ought to get his money back. Now you have sent him away. 
Mabel, who had waited a moment or two, went on. But, of course, that's most unlikely. It wouldn't take Gerald long to waste it. Evelyn rose, and, making some excuse, left the room. A suspicion which had troubled her more than Gerald's conduct had lately crept into her mind, and it now thrust itself upon her attention. Several things pointed to the fact that her father had taken a similar course to that which her brother had taken. She felt that had she heard Mabel's information before the interview with Vane, she might have yielded to him in an agony of humiliation. Mabel had summed up the situation with stinging candor and crudity. Vane, who had been defrauded, was entitled to recover the money he had parted with. For a few moments Evelyn was furiously angry with him, and then, growing calmer, she recognized that this was unreasonable. She could not imagine any idea of a compact originating with the man, and he had quietly acquiesced in her decision. Soon after she left her sister, Vane walked into the room which Chisholm reserved for his own use. Chisholm was sitting at the table with some papers in front of him and a cigar in his hand, and Vane drew out a chair and lighted his pipe before he addressed him. "'I've made up my mind to sail on Saturday instead of next week,' he said. "'You have decided rather suddenly, haven't you?' Vane knew that what his host wished to inquire about was the cause of his decision, and he meant to come to the point. He was troubled by no consideration for the man. "'The last news I had indicated that I was wanted,' he replied. "'After all, there was only one reason why I have abused Mrs. Chisholm's hospitality so long.' "'Well,' said Chisholm, with an abruptness which hinted at anxiety. "'You will remember what I asked you some time ago. I had better say that I abandoned the idea.' Chisholm started, and his florid face grew redder, while Vane, in place of embarrassment, was conscious of a somewhat grim amusement. It seemed strange that a man of Chisholm's stamp should have any pride, but he evidently possessed it. "'What am I to understand by that?' he asked with some asperity. "'I think what I said explained it. Bearing in mind your and Mrs. Chisholm's influence, I've an idea that Evelyn might have yielded, if I'd strongly urged my suit. But that was not by any means what I wanted. I'd naturally prefer a wife who married me because she wished to do so.' That's why, after thinking the thing over, I've decided to withdraw." Chisholm straightened himself in his chair, in fiery indignation, which he made no attempt to conceal. "'You mean that after asking my consent and seeing more of Evelyn, you have changed your mind? Can't you understand that it's an unpardonable confession? one which I never fancied a man born and brought up in your station could have brought himself to make?" Vane looked at him with an impassive face. "'It strikes me as largely a question of terms. I mayn't have used the right one. Now you know how the matter stands, 
you can describe it in any way that sounds nicest. In regard to your other remark, I've been in a good many stations, and I must admit that until lately none of them were likely to promote much delicacy of sentiment. So it seems. Chisholm was almost too hot to sneer. But can't you realize how your action reflects upon my daughter? Vane held himself in hand. He had only one object, to divert Chisholm's wrath from Evelyn to himself, and he thought he was succeeding in this. For the rest, he cherished a strong resentment against the man. It can't reflect upon her unless you talk about it, and both you and Mrs. Chisholm have sense enough to refrain from doing so, he answered dryly. I can't flatter myself that Evelyn will grieve over me. Then his manner changed. Now we'll get down to business. I don't propose to call that loan in, which will no doubt be a relief to you. He rose leisurely and, strolling out of the room, met Carroll shortly afterwards in the hall. The latter glanced at him sharply. What have you been doing? he inquired. There's a look I seem to remember in your eye. I suppose I've been outraging the rules of decency, but I don't feel ashamed. I've been acting the uncivilized Westerner, though it's possible that I rather strained the part. To come to the point, however, we pull out for the Dominion first thing tomorrow. Carroll asked no further questions. He did not think it would serve any purpose, and he contented himself with making arrangements for their departure, which they took early on the morrow. Vane had a brief interview with Mabel, who shed some tears over him, and then by her contrivance secured a word or two with Evelyn alone. "'Now,' he said, "'it's possible that you may hear some hard things of me.' and I count upon your not contradicting them. After all, I think you owe me that favor. There's just another matter. As I won't be here to trouble you, try to think of me leniently. He held her hand for a moment, and then turned away. And a few minutes later, he and Carol left the dean. End of chapter 11 Recording by Roger Moline